Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of That Blue Food Dude. So I know it's been a while since my last episode. My life has just been um, everywhere. Now I'm ready to get back into what I last posted about, which was diving into The Lightning Thief, chapters 1 and 2. So now, without further ado, let's begin. For those of you who haven't read the book, chapter 1 of The Lightning Thief is Percy telling us that he's a half-blood, he didn't want to be a half-blood, and that he goes to a school in upstate New York for troubled kids. He's in sixth grade. He's currently on a field trip going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art to look at ancient Greek and Roman stuff. As they're going there, he regales us with several different instances in the past where he's gotten expelled. He also introduces us to his friend Grover, who is crippled, and he kind of looks out for him, protects him from bullies that pick on him. One of the bullies that picks on both of them is Nancy Bubba Fett. She's really a brat. They have two teachers chaperoning them, Mr. Brunner and Mrs. Dodds. Mr. Brunner has a wheelchair, and you'll find out later why. And then there's Miss Dodds, an old, wrinkly, free algebra teacher. Mr. Brunner leads the class, he leads the lecture in the galleries of the museum, telling them about the different gods and goddesses and the different stories behind each. The class is dismissed, they go out to eat lunch. Percy is thinking about his mom, who lives um, not far from there in their little apartment. All of a sudden, Nancy Bubba Fett comes, and she dumps her lunch in Grover's lap, and he can't stand it any longer. And he closes his eyes, and he hears this wave, this rush. When he opens his eyes, Nancy is sitting on her butt in the fountain, screaming, Percy, push me! So she gets him in trouble. Mrs. Dodds is right there, and she has this look in her eye that she knows that she's caught him doing something, that she's waited for him to do all semester. She takes Percy back inside the museum and that's where she's like, confess and you'll suffer less pain. And he's like, whoa, wait, I have no idea what you're talking about. But she's like, we're not fools. You can't get away with it. Finally, the time is up for him to confess and she morphs into this bat-like creature with fangs and yellow eyes and she tries to kill Percy and all of a sudden Mr. Brunner wheels in, tosses Percy his ballpoint pen. Percy grabs it out of the air. It's no longer a pen anymore. It's a bronze sword. Mrs. Dodds is flying at him, snarling. He does what comes naturally. He swings the sword with a big hiss. She evaporates into sand. He looks around. He's alone. He's a little freaked out. He goes outside. He asks Grover, where's Mrs. Dodds? And Grover's like, who? Percy asked Mr. Brunner, where's Mrs. Dodds? He goes, Percy, as far as I know, there's never been a Mrs. Dodds at Anzi Academy. That's the end of chapter one. Now I will discuss it, give you guys some of my opinions and um, thoughts on it of that chapter, chapter one, which is called, by the way, I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher. Which, how cool are these chapter titles? They're really cool and fun, but they're genius in a way that they capture your attention. So even before you start reading the book, you're already curious. I just think that's genius on Riordan's part to pull kids in that way. His first line 
of the first chapter is, Look, I didn't want to be a half-blood. Whenever I hear that line, I just think of when I first heard it and what I felt and the journey I took on after that with with Percy. Another thing that pulled me into this book was Percy, his character, who he was, his attitude throughout the book, and how he came off so relatable and sort of like chill and a little bit, I don't want to say pessimistic, um, but just used to his life not going the right way, always getting in trouble, being a troubled kid. You know, just the fact that he was a troubled kid, he just really intrigued me. Not only did he feel relatable, but he felt personable. Like, he literally could be real. It just felt like I was reading about a real kid with real struggles, and some of those struggles mirrored my own. And I really appreciated the fact that Percy stood up for Grover. He stood up for people who are being bullied. Grover is crippled, according to Percy's words. He says that Grover has this muscular degenerative disease in his legs and made him walk funny like every step hurt him. Grover was small and he cried when he got frustrated. I like that he was best friends with someone who was handicapped because I am handicapped. I have CP, cerebral palsy. And I walk funny, like Grover. I have a walker, and I use that every day unless I need a wheelchair for something. So I really like the fact that Mr. Brunner had a wheelchair, and Grover, who was handicapped, was Percy's best friend. What a cool character to be someone who's best friends with a handicapped person, because it was very hard for me to make friends in elementary, middle school, and even high school sometimes. So that scored Percy some more points. One of the things that caught my eye recently uh, Rereading this as an adult was the positive relationship between Percy and Mr. Brunner, student and teacher, in books and movies. Usually this, there's this stereotype of the teacher not giving a crap about the student or the teacher hating his job, the students not caring about their schoolwork or their teachers or what their teachers think. I just think that it's really cool how Riordan, who was a teacher himself before becoming a full-time author, he depicts a, po- a different positive relationship than you'd expect, than a kid would expect with a teacher. Percy's been expelled in six schools in six years. Percy has been written off by a lot of teachers, and so for him to finally have that with Mr. Brunner, who's actually taking the time to push Percy to excel, to reach his full potential, is a completely new thing for him, and and Percy cares what Mr. Brunner thinks. He tries to study for Mr. Brunner's Latin class, and he just values his his care that he's shown Percy. Even though he has dyslexia and ADHD, Mr. Brunner pushes him to be as good as everyone else, and not just good, better than everyone else, and how it's just frustrating. That frustration is something that I relate to, too, because I didn't have the best um, relationship with teachers. I always thought like they just tolerated me because of my disability or they'd help me but they'd not give me the right help or the amount of time or one-on-one help that I needed because not only do I have CP, I have dyscalculia. My mom would really push me in school to do my best, to be my best, to prove to myself that I had potential and realize that I could be as good if not better than my peers. 
regardless of my disability. Without that, I wouldn't be the same person as I am today. So everyone needs that person in their life, I think. When Mr. Brunner says to Percy, I want you to find the answer to my question about real life and about how your studies apply to it. I think it's funny because Riordan was a teacher. Once a teacher, always a teacher, you know. After Nancy falls into the fountain, all he knows is that she's wet and that he's in trouble again. And Mrs. Dodds takes him aside back into the museum. And then she says, confess and you will suffer less pain. All he could think of was that they found the illegal stash of candy that he'd been selling out of his dorm room. Or that they found out that his essay on Tom Sawyer was one that he'd got off the internet. And that they were going to take away his grade. Or worse, make him read the book. That right there tells you some things about Percy, man. The fact that he was selling candy out of his dorm room, that cracks me up. He's making money on the side doing that. And he's also breaking the rules in doing it. <laughs> the fact that he thinks a worse punishment than taking away the grade is to read the book. That is so, so relatable to me, at least. Reading was such a boring, dull thing that I had to do for school. Percy is quite clever and sneaky and daring to do all those things. And that's what I liked about him, too. So when Percy doesn't confess because he doesn't know what the heck Mrs. Dodds is talking about, she changes into the fury just as he's about to get sliced to ribbons. Mr. Brunner wheels in and throws his ballpoint pen in the air and Percy catches it and it turns into a bronze sword. That blew my mind. That was just so cool when I first read it. I still think it's just like one of the coolest things because I'm a writer. Just the fact that a pen, a writing utensil, turns into a sword was just so cool in my mind. And Percy using it to slice Mrs. Dodds to dust. So he goes back outside to where everyone's finishing up lunch and he sees Nancy. Guys, what happened to Nancy? Like, we never see her again or hear of her after this book. I don't know if she's in The Tower of Nero. I heard that was like the last final big series book that Riordan was gonna write. So I don't know if she pops back in there again. I kind of wanted to have Percy bump into her like years later. I just think that'd be funny. So that's the end of my discussion of chapter one and now we are going to go on to chapter two. Three old ladies knit the socks of death. Which again, those chapter titles man, for those of you who haven't read the book, chapter two is mainly about Percy just stumbling through the semester, trying to figure out what the heck he saw with Mrs. Dodds, why the whole school feels like it's playing a trick on him because they have no memory of Mrs. Dodds, even Mr. Brunner. The freak storms are still happening. He's getting into fights. His grades are slipping. He's getting kicked out of class into the hallway, almost every class. And he finally snaps when he calls a teacher an old sot. That gets him expelled. He's homesick, but he still has exam week. One of the exams that he tries and does study for is Latin because he remembered that Mr. Brunner said that this class is life and death for him. And with everything going on with him and Mrs. Dodds, he's starting to believe Mr. Brunner, but he's having difficulty with the words because of his dyslexia. So he decides to go ask Mr. Brunner for help. Near his office, he hears the voices of Mr. Brunner and Grover talking about him, kindly ones and the winter solstice, and keeping him alive until next fall. And that freaks him out. 
and he goes back to his room. He still has the Latin exam in the morning, and Mr. Brunner, knowing that Percy is leaving, Yancey says, don't be discouraged. This wasn't the right place for you. You're not normal. It was only a matter of time, and Percy really takes this to heart. He feels kind of embarrassed and just hurt because Mr. Runner was his favorite teacher. So he's packing his bags. He's going to miss Grover. He's worried how Grover will survive the bullies without him there. But Grover booked a ticket to Manhattan on the same Greyhound bus as Percy. So they get on the bus and they're driving to the city. Grover is acting nervous and Percy can't take it anymore. So all of a sudden he says, looking for kindly ones? which is what Mr. Brunner and them used to describe Mrs. Dodds, and that freaks Grover out. He confesses to eavesdropping on them and asks them about the summer solstice. Then all of a sudden, there's a big huge screech, and the bus stops, and there's smoke. So they all have to get out, and they wait on the side of the road, and it just so happens that on the other side of the road is a fruit stand, and there's three old ladies sitting there in rocking chairs knitting a pair of huge blue socks. Grover and Percy both see this, and and Percy is thinking, that's strange. But Grover is, like, all pale. Grover tries to get Percy to get on the, on the bus and to not look at them, but Percy is still hanging back, fascinated by these old ladies and the huge pair of socks they're knitting. And then all of a sudden, as he's watching them, one takes out a pair of scissors and snips the yarn. The bus gets fixed. Everybody's on board, driving back to the city, and all of a sudden, Percy doesn't feel good. And Grover doesn't look any better. And they're both sitting there, knowing that something weird, strange, and bad happened. Percy has this feeling, and he guesses that the snipping of the cord means that someone's going to die. Grover doesn't say yes or no, but his expression looks like he's picking the flowers already for Percy's coffin. So, on to my discussion of chapter two. Can you just like imagine what Percy is feeling right now? Whenever he talks about Mrs. Dodds, Grover, and everyone else is like making him feel like he just imagined the whole thing. He starts to believe that maybe he did. The weather is still going crazy and he's starting to get into fights. His grades are dropping and finally he gets expelled and he has to study for a three-hour Latin exam. For middle schoolers, Wow. I mean, Percy already has ADHD. I can't imagine the kids would be able to sit for that long. While I can't relate to ADHD or dyslexia, I do understand struggling in school and feeling like you're just an idiot or that you can't grasp it or you should grasp it, but you can't. I've thrown plenty of school books across the room. Feels good to throw stuff and break stuff. Not that you should. Percy is talking about there's no way how he can remember the difference between polydictes and polyduces, Chiron and Karen, and conjugating those Latin verbs. Forget it. I mean, it's like he read our minds. We're thinking the same thing he's thinking in school. What's cool is that he goes and he decides, well, maybe I can ask Mr. Brunner for help. And again, there's that positive relationship between student and teacher. And it's hard to ask a teacher for help. I'm just going to say that. He hears his best friend and the teacher having this really weird conversation about keeping him alive this summer and kindly ones and the summer solstice. I'd be confused 
frustrated, angry, and freaked out, too. And then having to study for a three-hour Latin exam. And then afterwards, when you're like, your eyes are tired, your brain is mush, and you're just frazzled. Then to have your teacher, who you actually like, and who has been supporting you throughout the semester, helping you, say, don't worry about leaving it wasn't the right place for you. You're not normal. It was only a matter of time. He's trying to be kind, yes, but it's just like, like, this is crazy. And it's just, I feel for Percy, man. He's trying to be a good kid. It just never works out for him. Three old ladies at a fruit stand across the highway knitting a pair of huge socks. How bizarre is that? What's interesting is the way that Riordan describes everything throughout these books. I know that they're written for kids. They're for middle grade readers. So they would be written in a way where they could understand and see and imagine. But I just find it interesting. His choice of words. Like, for example, all three women looked ancient with pale faces wrinkled like fruit leather silver hair tied back in white bandanas, and bony arms sticking out of bleached cotton dresses. There's nothing really big there to notice, except the fact that he uses fruit leather to describe their ancient faces. Since these are kids reading these books, kids eat fruit leather. And so kids could picture fruit leather and right away get a good picture. It's just cool how he chooses his words for kids for them to get an easy picture and understanding. Well, that was the end of my discussion for chapter two. Something I really enjoyed from reading these books is how fun they are and how clever Rick Riordan was in intertwining Greek mythology with modern life and modern society. For those who have trouble learning or don't like learning, it's a really fun way to bring in Greek mythology for anyone to enjoy no matter what age they are. I hope you enjoyed my discussion of chapters one and two and that you found it interesting or if you did or didn't. Thank you for listening anyway. If you did enjoy it, please join me for the next episode where I will talk about chapters three and four. In the meantime, my fellow half-bloods, don't vaporize your pre-algebra teacher. And if you see three old ladies knitting the socks of death, let me know. Maybe they can knit me some in my size.